Hi, this is Chris Foreman from Madness, and you're listening to the Stateside Madness Podcast. Hi there, folks, out there. I'd like you to meet Tommy McGuire's comrade. Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness Podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American Fan Service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. again stateside madness i'm Lori, and i'm polly and we're doing another album deep dive this week aren't we polly that we are in one that uh i'm gonna guess a lot of people probably aren't that familiar with we're doing suggs's solo album or one of them the lone ranger yeah this was actually his first solo album we'll talk about that in a second but I just got to say, Polly, I am still completely thrilled by our last episode, that interview with John Hassler. That was just fantastic. So I want to say thank you again to John for meeting with us, for telling us all his stories. It's just so cool connecting with somebody that was such an integral part of the band's history. Uh, yeah, that it was. And, and always, uh, uh, you know, it was very gracious on the part of a lot of these people who will, are willing to take the time just because somebody reached out to them and uh, somebody they don't know. So that was very, very good. Yeah. And yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. All right. So as we mentioned, we are talking today about The Lone Ranger, which was Suggs's first solo album. Now, the idea for this solo album actually came about shortly after Madstock 1992, and Suggs had started writing a few new songs. Then, having uh, just come off of Madstock, started collaborating again with Mike Barson to write a few more songs. You know, still kind of in the idea phase until after Madstock 2 in 94. And then I think he really uh, started to take this idea more seriously. So after Madstock 2, Suggs formally announced that he was going solo. And he appeared on a UK TV show in November of 94 to perform two solo songs, I'm Only Sleeping and a cover of the Morrissey song, Suede Head. Now that second one, unfortunately, does not appear on this album, but the album was released on October 16, 1995, and it was reissued in 2016 as a two-CD deluxe edition. So, so far as the production goes on the album, he had a host of people pitching in and producing. Uh, one might say... Maybe too many, but we'll get into that later. But yeah, just a ton of people. So five of the tracks produced by Suggs and Mike Barson. Five more produced by the legendary Jamaican duo of Sly and Robbie. Several tracks also have additional production by other people. One, in particular, the tune, was produced by Tommy D. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the cover art. So the photography from the cover is by legendary rock and roll photographer Trevor Key. Now, he was best known for the cover artwork for the single Tubular Bells in 73. Other artists that he's produced cover artwork for include Joy Division, The Sex Pistols, Phil Collins, Roxy Music, Wham, 
OMD, and New Order. Now, sadly, he died in December of 95, shortly after the release of The Lone Ranger. The art direction was by Ben Kelly, who is perhaps best known for his interior design of the Hacienda nightclub in Manchester and the storefront of Vivian Westwood's Seditionaries Boutique. And the cover was inspired by Marcel Duchamp's Cubist painting, Nude Descending a Staircase Number 2. And of course, I'm thinking to myself how thankful I am that Suggs was not nude. No, it would seem he was, he was wearing a tux on it, so yeah, we're, we're safe from that. Yes, okay. So uh, as we tend to do when we're doing an album deep dive, we're going to go through the songs track by track. We'll play a little snippet of each song, and then we'll discuss them. First up, then, you'll recognize this. It is a Beatles composition from John Lennon and Paul McCartney. It is I'm Only Sleeping. Right then, Lori. Oh, well, I confess, this is one Beatles song I do not know, so I don't really have a frame of reference there. Oh, guys, guys, you need to see the look Polly's giving me right now. Polly is giving me the disapproving father look right now. <laughs> I, I guess I would have to go back and listen to it. So, and the, you know, this isn't bad. It's certainly a good start. This is, a, I believe, the first single that they released off of this album as well. Uh, yeah, that was in reaching number seven on the UK charts. And uh, yeah, it's got that distinctive Sly and Robbie sound. Yeah, because they did produce this track. Absolutely. What do you think of it? Uh, well, uh, so that's not an entirely disapproving look there. I, I'm just amazed because um, it uh, is, I find it surprising when anybody doesn't know any Beatles song because uh, um, it's so pervasive. And uh, I, I know a lot of Beatles that I don't even really I'm somewhat ambivalent I just think find they're inescapable um but anyways I digress uh so I really do like this song uh you know it's definitely got that upbeat dance hall tempo um you know the orchestration is fairly minimal on it you know there's there's probably six or so different instruments happening but um it doesn't mean they're all clogged in there so it's really really pretty sparse but, you know, really driving. I, I love it. I think it's great. I don't know. I can't quite remember. I'm trying to sing it in my head. I don't think they changed the key from the Beatles song. So it's fortunate that it's got a nice, tight range vocally there that Suggs can pull off really, really well. Of course, at about this time in the, you know, early 90s, Suggs' voice was probably at his peak. You know, he had been working with, vocal coaches and things like that. But let's call a spade a spade. Our boy does not have this vast dynamic range. So 
he hits every note in this perfectly, and it's because it's just a, such a smart idea. That tight vocal range, not a lot in the way of, um, you know, vocal acrobats, but just a spot-on melody, a perfect, perfect choice for Suggs. See, now you're making me want to go and seek out the original and listen to it so I can compare the two. You should. All right, I'll do that. That'll be my homework. So next up, Polly, we have uh, one that I think you and I have talked about before when you were on your travels, and that is Camden Town. Let's listen. Sing up, tourist. Sing. There's a great crowd of tourists and they're coming down the street. Please just punch me brand new Dr. Martin's on their feet. Stores of leather jackets, old brick a brick, Indians and Nazis, or a Chinese bubble hat. Tramps stare in the window of the local butcher shop, like a pack of wild dogs. They run off with the lot, and Primozilla, an angry man, his hair standing on end, shouts and rants in the ear of his imaginary friend in Camden Town. I'll meet you by the underground. In Camden Town, we walk there as the sun goes down. Okay, so this is another Sly and Robbie production with some additional production work by Gary Hughes. Polly, what do you think of the song Camden Town? Well, I'm sure I'm on record for saying that I really like this song in previous episodes. This is another sort of, I'd say in the genre of the kinks, that slice of life writing about what you're familiar with. And Suggs is by all means familiar with his hometown, Camden Town. So this is a bit of a love letter to Camden Town, but it's also a little bit kind of uh, critical and snarky in that I suppose at this moment, uh, Camden Town was ascendant in becoming a touristy area of London. And I think Suggs' take on the, in the song is kind of like, yeah, you know, what are these people doing invading my space? Uh, but I like it. It's upbeat. You know, it's got everything you'd want out of the Sly and Robbie production. It's peculiar. And if you bother to watch the video, because what ends up happening is it's a, uh, you know, scenes around Camden and Suggs is hamming it up. But he gets on the underground and he winds up in Jamaica. Uh, it, yeah, it's a, it's a bit cheesy of the time, but, um, I thought, thought that was a curious choice because at the end of the day, it's got nothing to do with Jamaica. It's a fun song. Sly and Robbie produced it. But anyways, I like it. There you go. It's a neat song. Well, you know, you mentioned it doesn't have anything to do with Jamaica. And I know it was written by Suggs with our friend Mike Barson, but... I think this sounds like a guy mucking around on his 1980s Casio keyboard with the, you know, how it had the pre-programmed beats and there was one for reggae. And that's what this sounds like to me. And then I'm like, as I'm listening to it, I'm like, was this guy trying to create like a, a tourism ad or something? What is this? I think it's got potential to be a very good song, but it it doesn't sound polished to me. It sounds like a demo, like I said, like somebody mucking around in his basement with an old Casio. Thumbs down 
from me on this one. Oh, wow. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. you're, you're not wrong, really. Uh, send your hate mail to statesidemadness at gmail.com. <laughs> All right, then. At number three, then. This is a Suggs composition, although, boy, it borrows a lot from uh, at least one or two other songs. So, it's alcohol. Street shake me the joy you seem to take turning me into a fake like a plastic cherry on a cardboard cake so roll out the barrel tonight i've had my fill i've empty put my pockets in the barmaid's till mouth thing inside is open out into the street cigarettes matches uncoordinated feed is fools of winos in the leering london light and for the crowds of sightseers i make quite a sight reeling sideways downwards take a picture of me of all Thoughts on alcohol? Well, I think it's really good to kind of help you relax a little bit, loosen up, especially if you've got to do a podcast or something. Oh, you're asking about the yeah. song. Okay. Sure. Uh, <laughs> it's not bad. It's certainly better than the previous song. It doesn't sound finished, and I think maybe he did eventually finish it because... He recorded a new version called No More Alcohol that he released in 96, and that one went to number 24 on the UK charts. You know, on one hand, I listen to this and I say, okay, you know what, this kind of reminds me a bit of Crunch and what Crunch was doing with the Nutty Boys. But I don't like it as much as Crunch, and I'm not sure what the reason for that is. I don't know if it's it's missing some of, I don't know. I feel like I'm digging myself into a hole here. Alcohol can do that to you. Holly, what do you think? Yeah, so I I actually do like one version of this more or less. The I and, and I do believe when we did a episode promoted just the suds, um, I suggested the twelve inch Rapino mix yes. um, as to be what would be the definitive version. But you know, I mean, in some respects, it's a little bit cheesy. It is uh, pulling heavily from the Trogs tequila song and um yeah you know it's a big long song that i think they thought was going to land in clubs would be a big deal um you know I, I i can take it or leave it it's it's pretty decent but uh it in one respect it's the most Suggs song ever because it does say a bit about um Suggs being out around camden i would say maybe, uh, drunk and a bit of a spectacle for everybody to see, as he is known to do, I suppose, from time to time. So in that respect, it's emblematic of Suggs at, <laughs> at the early 90s. But Didn't he do you know, that? What did he do that to in the 90s? Was it Sting? There was somebody that was performing and Suggs was really drunk and barged on stage and tried to sing with him. And I want to say it was Sting. That that's that is ringing a bell, but I do think there's more than uh, a few occasions 
you know, not not to not to uh, a duly land based guy, but it seems like uh, this is a story that pops up every once in a while. Folkloric, maybe exaggerated. I don't know. Okay, well, another song that we have talked about on the podcast before, although not this particular version, is a Suggs and Mike Barson composition called 4 A.M. Here's the version from Suggs' album. That one was produced by Suggs and Mike, and there was additional production by Kevin Petrie, Paul Taylor, and Pete Craigie. What do you think of 4 a.m., Polly? Well, I, I like it just fine. Uh, of course, the obvious um, question is going to be how does it hold up against the song that Madness then recorded in 1999 for Wonderful. So same song, two different versions. I guess I'd say, for the most part, I like them pretty close to equally. Probably Madness, their version would just have a slight edge. But, you know, it's a fantastic song. It's great. Great uh, songwriting between Suggs and Barson. So I think it does demonstrate that they were sort of hitting their stride a little bit with this project. I'll agree with you on that. I definitely think that the songwriting on this one is top-notch. I mean, this one, it almost kind of seems like a demo for the 1999 Madness version. You know, it, it's... A little raw, a little unpolished. It's missing some of the harmonies that the 99 version has. But the songwriting, yeah, songwriting is top-notch. And I think of all the songs on this album, I think the ones that Suggs and Mike co-wrote were by far the strongest songs. And at about halfway through then, number five it is the tune, and this is a Mike Barson composition. Right then, Lori, what are you thinking about the tune? 
you know, it's kind of a fun one. It The first time I heard it, I thought, what the heck is this? But it grew on me. This one, as you mentioned earlier, was produced by Tommy D with additional production by Sly and Robbie. And I really like the lyrics. So this one was written solely by Mike Barson. So Suggs does not share a writing credit on this one. But I love the lyrics. Yes, they're playing the tune of the Madman's song. It's not quite right. And it's not quite wrong. It's not in tune, but that's quite all right. You can go on all day. You can go on all night. And the first thing that came to mind when I heard that was One Step Beyond. Because remember, Lee Sachs was slightly out of tune when he was playing it. So it's not quite right, but it's not quite wrong. It's not in tune, right? And, you know, the Madman song, well, obviously that's madness. So it's kind of hearkening back to the old days. Yeah, uh, and I think hearkening back to the old days in more than one respect. This is a jaunty little, almost vaudevillian-sounding ditty. Yes. Uh, Either vaudevillian, you might say, Irving Berlin, and if you really stretch it, maybe Cole Porter-sounding lyrics and things like that. So, uh, yeah, like I said, you have to really stretch it. But um, And, yeah, the lyrics definitely do stand out in that. Uh, along with the instrumentation. The video also adds an element to that. Suggs almost appears to be living in some sort of uh, Victorian turn of the century, uh, you know, Whitechapel storefront sort of thing. Uh, it's a it's a altogether pretty endearing video. Really good production and, and great in its simplicity. So the tune, yeah, I mean, what's not to love about it? It's very hooky. Very, very hooky. So... It's inescapable in that regard. It will draw you in. Okay, so next up we have arguably the best-known song off the album, and that is a cover of Cecilia. Shaking my confidence daily Oh, Cecilia I'm down on my knees I'm begging you please to come home Cecilia You're breaking my heart You're shaking my confidence daily Oh, Cecilia Polly, what do you think of Cecilia? Uh, well, it's a reasonably good cover, um, but I just have uh, not a lot of love for Simon and Carfunkel, so uh, I'd never needed to hear a, a cover of that song. Okay. Now, see, I'm kind of the opposite. I love the Simon and Garfunkel song, and this song doesn't do it for me. It, it's... Everything that made the original charming, you know, their harmonizing, the kind of almost improvised percussion, none of that is happening here. I guess it's a noble effort. I know that they brought in a female raga soul duo from London. That's Lucy Lu and Mishi One. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. And they did the backup vocals. We have Sly and Robbie producing... 
Additional production by Gary Hughes. This was actually the fourth single off the album, and it reached number four on the charts. I think that was the highest charting song off this album. I think it's awful. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to mince words. I it, it It's terrible. I don't know why why he felt the need to remake it. It just uh, it does nothing for me. Again, yeah. <laughs> send your hate mail to statesidemadness at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah, well, he, 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 there is something that's uh, now repeating. It, that is that Sly and Robbie now have shared production with other people who I would just, I don't want to, um, don't want to be unkind, but that, you know, I, I told little Gary Hughes from Adam. And um, I wonder if Sly and Robbie were cleanup men and they were asked to come around and fix a lot of stuff or they were already on board to produce and then somebody said, hey, tidy up a couple of things. I don't see how you need three producers on a song. Well, on some of the songs on this album, we have five. Yeah. And one of the criticisms I have of the album as a whole is it doesn't feel very cohesive to me. It's all over the map, and I think a big part of it is because there's so many different producers, too many cooks in the kitchen. I think maybe if they had kept the Sly and Robbie songs to side one and the songs that Mike Barson and Suggs produced to side two, maybe it would be a little more coherent. But even then, I don't know if I would love it or not. So it's it's just kind of all over the map. All right, and up next then, another soul Suggs composition. It is Haunted. Forward and Payata, Manapo and Osaka. The rain falls on my head, runs down my collar, as cold as lead. The time on my hands slips through my fingers. What if the bus don't stop? What if the bus don't come? And then we'll walk. Then we'll run. Yeah. All right. And again, Lori, it would seem it's Sly and Robbie and Gary Hughes producing it. What are your thoughts on it? isn't bad i mean it's another attempt at a reggae song and i think i've said in previous episodes i i don't think that suggs does well with reggae it it's it's not right for him it it loses it 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 just doesn't doesn't have that deep resonance that you know like jamaican reggae singers have but on the other hand it does remind me a bit of crunch in, you know, the instrumentation and, and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, it, it's, I, I would give it maybe a, a, a B minus. I don't know. What do you think of Haunted? Yeah, well, about the same thing. I, I mean, there's a clever lyric in there about what if the bus don't run, then we'll walk, then we'll run, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I think it's clever and I think it's very, very close, but Ultimately, I think this song is noteworthy for not being noteworthy. It just is kind of like, eh, it's there, you know? Okay. All right. Well, next we have another Suggs composition, and that is Off on Holiday. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so Polly, this one is another Sly and Robbie production with additional production by Gary Hughes. What do you think of Off on Holiday? Uh, altogether pretty decent effort. You know, it's it's uh, got a couple of notes that really resonate with me. It's the sort of nostalgic take on we're getting everybody in the car and going on vacation. And, you know, let's face it, that's something that a lot of people have fond memories of. It's all those fun things you might have done when you were a kid in the back of the station wagon. Um, so it's, you know, it's kind of cool in that respect. I do like the songs, as I'm on record many, many times, saying that are uh, a bit of explaining a little bit of what is life is like for a particular person. So great in that regard. Not not the greatest, you know, the greatest vocal melody. I think the piano, that tinkling piano behind the verses is what is kind of like carrying the melody. And I don't like the female backing vocals and Suggs delivering the chorus kind of. Did, did very little for me. You know, it was I'm, a bit pat. I'm curious who that was, too, because I couldn't find anything about any guest vocalist other than on Cecilia. So that's, yeah. that's interesting. I, I just have in my notes three words, charming little ditty. And it is. It's charming. It's a charming song. Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right, up next, it's Green Eyes. Now, this stands out because there's not just Suggs, there's not just Barson, but we've also got Carl Smith providing some writing credits for this. Let's take a listen to Green Eyes. Then, Lori, great eyes. I really like this one. I think this is the closest to what I expect from Suggs. And I don't know how much of that is Chaz's contribution to the songwriting. I mean, I know I've been saying for a while now that he really was an integral part of the band and that they lost something when he was gone. Well, now that he's here writing with Mike and Suggs, I think this is arguably the strongest song on the album. Lyrically, it's very, very strong, but also melody is very strong. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I like it a bit in that respect, and I do think you can probably see Carl's influence on this, if that's, you know, what we're seeing. You know, it's it's moody and atmospheric, uh, a bit heavy on Reber. Like you were just then? <laughs> that kind of sounded like you had a little bit of a reverb there. Yeah, so it's a bit heavy on uh, reverb for my taste. But um, I think all in all, uh, not a bad little offering. Definitely a bit of a sing-song melody, kind of. Well, you know, it, it was the 90s, and they sampled and reverbed everything to shit. You know that. Mm, yeah. All right. Now we're coming up on Fortune Fish, and this was one of the songs that Suggs wrote by himself. 
after Madstock of 92. Let's listen. All right. What do you think of this one? Well, I don't know uh, about that opening, you know, sort of take off uh, talk singing, uh, you know, the verse from Satisfaction. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I don't know what it, I don't know what it's supposed to do or add to it. It's paying homage. Well, yeah. No? You know. Okay. Yeah, this song doesn't... Uh, doesn't do a great deal for me. Okay, I kind of like it. it. It's not like really high on my playlist, but I think it's one of the better tracks on the album. Uh, it was produced by Suggs and Mike Barson with additional production by Kevin Petrie. All right. And up next, another Barson and Suggs composition. It is She's Gone. This it's one? not the whole. It's not the whole note song, is it? No, thank God. <laughs> thank God. No, I like this one. It's interesting to me because Suggs's voice is very kind of breathy, almost whispery, and it's not something I'm accustomed to from him. But it really kind of sets the mood of the song, and I was uh, just especially enamored of the fact that the string arrangement was done by Anne Dudley, who I love. I've mentioned her in a couple episodes. She was part of the Art of Noise, and she went on to do a lot of like movie soundtracks and stuff like that, and she's just amazing. I think this is a good collaboration there. What do you think? Well, I don't know. Um, whenever a composition deviates into sort of uh, ballady territory, I'm almost instinctively not going to like it. And I think That's this, true. Yeah, I think this does does that in spades, so... Yeah, there's not a lot from you there. But you're okay with 4 a.m., and that's another ballad. 
well, I know, but I could still see getting a little tipsy and smashing beer bottles to 4 a.m. So, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, that's the hallmark of a good song to me. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the album. So before I ask you your favorite and least favorite song on the album, Polly, what are your thoughts of the album as a whole? Well, uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit earlier by saying it wasn't particularly cohesive, um, and it's not. And it's also kind of of its era, really, you know, and uh, think of what that time period was like uh, coming off of the 80s. The early 90s, MTV was established. Pop music didn't really know its place. We had the rise of alternative radio. Nobody can see me doing air quotes around the word alternative. But, um, yeah, uh, much of the time was just throw something to the wall and see what sticks. And I think in this case, this was a lot of what that album was. I'll agree with you on everything except the context. I think so many bands were putting out really, really amazing albums in 95. I mean, I mean, you did mention Alternative, you know, Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill, Garbage, their debut album, One Hot Minute by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know, there were some really, really, music was really changing at the time. I'll, I'll give you that. This does not sound like where music was changing to. This really sounds like a relic of of an earlier time, and it's underwhelming. I almost used the word lazy. I, I hesitate to do that because I imagine that there really was a lot of work and a lot of effort put into this. But, I mean, especially, even just contrast this with Wonderful, right, which would come out four years later, the Madness album. Now, granted, they had four years to prep for it, but it kind of feels to me like almost like this was put out because, hey, you know, Madness fans, they're they're clamoring. They've been to Madstock one and two. They'll buy it. You know what I mean? I'm sorry if that sounds really cynical. I mean, there there are one or two decent tracks on it that I would listen to, but it's underbaked. That's that's the best the best term I can come up yeah. with. Yeah. No, well, yeah, I think you are you are kind of onto something. There's either it seems uh, there's only two routes you can go uh, around 1995, and that is being really breaking. That would be really breaking the mold and doing something completely innovative, or emulating something that's really innovative. And at least in this circumstance, Suds didn't do that. He didn't do a grunge esque new updated AOR rock. He did something that was uh, harking back to, um, you know, what he had always done a bit. Uh Um, And so, yeah, there wasn't anywhere for this album to land, I don't think. Now, a couple of years from now, he's going to do some stuff that I think is a lot more fresh and a lot more original, like I Am and some of the work on the Three Pyramids Club. I think that's arguably a much better album. And I think the most unfortunate thing about this, and I feel so bad saying this, but I think it kind of showcases Suggs' weaknesses as a songwriter. I think the strongest tracks are arguably the ones where he shares a writing credit either with Mike Barson or with Mike and Chad Smash. 
And, uh, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Suggs is a much better songwriter than I am. I certainly couldn't write anything half as good as what he's written. But, you know, it, it kind of falls down flat next to some of these songs that he's written in partnership with the others. So, on that note, Polly, tell us your favorite song on the album and your least favorite song. Well, um, so far as what we've reviewed, not including different remixes or things like that, remixes often don't do a great deal for me. Anyways, so just the 11 songs we talked about, I think uh, my favorite would actually be the first one, the I'm Only Sleeping Beatles cover. Okay. Which uh, also a bit of a rarity for me because I don't try to um, overvalue anybody's covers of anybody else's work because it can be very easy. Uh, and so far as my least favorite song, uh, it should be Fortune Fish, but I'm going to say Cecilia just because I, I, hey, I want to have a vendetta against Paul Simon, so why not? <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I think my favorite is probably, I kind of went back and forth on this, but I, I think I'm going to go with Green Eyes. Hmm. And arguably my least favorite is Camden Town. Although Cecilia was way up there. I almost picked that one. But Camden Town, it's like I said, it's just some white guy messing around on his Casio keyboard uh, with the, the reggae setting for the, the rhythm, you know? Eh. But, you know, the one that I am not sure why it's not here, I don't know if it was because of licensing issues or, or what, when Suggs went on that British TV show, he performed I'm Only Sleeping, and he also performed Suedehead. Mm, yeah. I would argue that Suedehead cover is one of Suggs' best solo works. Really, really good. And I don't know if it's because, you know, it's right for his vocal range. He's got kind of the right feeling behind it. I, that seems like a glaring omission to me. That really should have been on this album. So, Holly, you are leaving. That's true. Yeah. Leaving the country anyway. You're not leaving the podcast. No. So our next episode, or maybe two episodes, are probably going to be from you on the road. Is that correct? I believe so. Um, yeah, so uh, we did mention... Uh, couple episodes back that i'll be in the uk uh end of march and early april and meeting up with some folks in the madness universe as it were so um yeah we'll be uh hanging out with some fans and things like that as is my like and yeah we'll see if we can come up with something fun for everybody from the uk Cool, and I will be here in the home office, and you will be sending in your dispatches, and I will be editing them accordingly. So I look forward to hearing what you come up with, and I'm really stoked about the one musician that you might have an interview with. So really excited for that Oh, for we're you. trying. We're trying. Fingers crossed. These things uh, can be notoriously difficult to pull together. Yes, yes, yes. All right, well... Did you happen to see what I picked for a closing song? I did, and um, I'm, I'm touched. I, you're you're always thinking of me. So, yes, uh, why don't you announce it? All right, well, digging into the archives, I happened to find 
an artist, a, a duo, I guess, actually, called Radio Riddler. And they do a number of reggae and dub covers of songs. And they put out an album in 2014 called Purple Reggae that was covers of Prince songs from Purple Rain. And the opening track, Let's Go Crazy, features Suggs on the vocals. I just thought it was really, really cool. It's a, it's a unique spin on the song. You know, they borrowed some of the elements from the original song, including some of the drum sampling, but they've really made it their own. I I just thought it was really, really cool. So Let's Go Crazy by Radio Riddler featuring Suggs. And on that note, it's a goodbye from me. Yeah, that's a goodbye from me. Go get a beer, Stateside Madness.